The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools, an investor seeking promising ag tech startups, or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. The average age of a farmer in the U.S. is 58. The average age of a farmer in countries like Japan is 68. You've got this demographic time bomb that is about to detonate on the food system, which is, you know, when these people retire, like who the hell is going to grow all the food, right? We need to find pathways for young people to enter the agriculture industry. And, and that, that was what we decided to kind of tackle first at Square Roots. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast. Weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast, welcome back. Season 2, Episode 1. If you are new to the show, I highly recommend checking out all the Season 1 episodes. We've had some great conversations with fantastic founders and CEOs. And now, for Season 2... We are taking this to the next level. I didn't think it could get any better, but it did, and it will. As a bit of a sneak peek, we have conversations coming up with leaders from Bowery Farms, Plenty, Unfold, and much more. I couldn't be more excited to announce our partnership with Ceres as a sponsor for this episode and several of our episodes this season. Ceres combines smart greenhouse design with customized climate control technology to build sustainable grow environments for year-round protection. They work with their customers and clients every step of the way, from helping to secure funding to providing growing data. Whether you're a commercial entrepreneur, an educator, or someone looking for a rewarding hobby, visit SeriesGreenhouseSolutions.com, and that's spelled out C-E-R-E-S, GreenhouseSolutions.com, and get started today on your greenhouse goals. To kick things off in grand style, this week's conversation is with none other than Tobias Pegg, CEO of Square Roots. For those unfamiliar with Square Roots, it's an indoor urban farming company that connects people in cities to local real food. And in this episode, Tobias and I discuss the growing demand for a more efficient global food system. And he speaks to the importance his organization places on transparency and visionary thinking, as well as future initiatives he and his team are currently planning. Tobias takes us back to the vertical farming landscape in 2016 when he initially launched Square Roots and talks about how his past experience has helped him scale this one. We learn about the value Tobias and the team place on transparency and forward thinking and the trends he's observed from the overall ag tech industry, as well as the collaboration between organizations and the role of technology and software. 
We learn about Square Root's farmer training program and how Tobias has grown personally and professionally during his tenure at Square Roots. Couldn't think of a better way to kick off season two. I'm so excited to share this episode with you guys. If you have enjoyed this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. That's VFP for Vertical Farming Podcast. I'll make sure to read out those reviews on future episodes. So let's kick off season two with Tobias. So Tobias Pegg, co-founder and CEO of Square Roots, thank you for joining us on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Super happy to be here. Thank you. So Tobias, just to date stamp where we're at, it's first week of October 2020, uh, what many people would uh, probably say is one of the strangest years on record so far. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And and just when you think things can't get any crazier, all you have to do is check your newsfeed. So I'm just wondering um, how the year's been for you, if there's a couple of words you you could use to summarize what you've you've been experiencing as as a business owner and personally, what comes to mind? Intense. But also, I think, um, you know, at the beginning of COVID, you know, if you look at it purely from the perspective of sort of vertical farming or indoor farming or food systems, right, you know, right at the beginning of COVID, there was a very big sort of affirmation that what we're doing, what everybody in the industry is doing is is the right thing, right? On the one hand, we had supermarket shelves that were just empty. You couldn't even find like staples to eat. And on the other hand, you know, the, you just read stories every day of mountains of food being left in industrial fields to rot because those farmers couldn't get farmers, you know, safely to those fields to get the food out. I mean, it just really shone a spotlight on how fragile that industrial food system is. You know, not only is it terrible for the planet in terms of, you know, pesticides and runoff and the impact of transport and, you know, the litany of kind of issues goes on and on and on, greenhouse gases and all, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it also turns out it's not a particularly resilient system. It's not guaranteed to get food on your plate, you know, in, in, in sort of instances like this. Um, you know, and so I think what we're all doing here, building the infrastructure and the business models and the teams to enable a distributed farming solution that is able to provide quality local grown food you know, very consistently in a very resilient way, like it became very obvious quite early that the world really needs this. And that has acted as a very kind of galvanizing and energizing focus through what, you know, to your point has been the craziest year any of us could ever possibly imagine. When did this, uh, Vertical farming, indoor ag tech, this idea of getting the food sourced locally to where people need it. When did these ideas appear on your radar, um, if you can think back? On my personal radar? Yeah, on your personal radar. Yeah, so um, I uh, had a early social media analytics company. Uh, my background's tech. I'm a AI PhD, and I, I sort of spent bunch of my early career in Silicon Valley and and uh, had this early social media analytics company that was acquired by Walmart of all people. And as part of those uh, deal terms, uh, I went to work at Walmart for 12 months. And to cut a long story short, while I was inside Walmart, um, I studied uh, one of the projects that I did was to study global grocery buying behaviors. And I sort of, you know, came at it from a data science perspective, which is my background. But 
But really what I ended up seeing was this map of the global food system with millions of you know, people around the world buying food from around the world, which then required a lot of shipping and, you know, food. I just saw a map of like food flying all over the planet. And I thought, this is insane. Like there's got to be a better way to, to do this. You know, and you dig in and as I said, you know, the impact of that transport is horrific, uh, but also the quality of the food at the end of that chain. You know, if the food has been traveling for a number of weeks and the nutrients are breaking in and the quality of food isn't so good at, at, at the end of it. So, you know, there are a b- bunch of problems there. And I started looking at it and thinking, okay, well, everyone's got to be eating, you know, locally grown seasonal food. And then it's like, well, okay, it's hard to change that mass consumer behavior. People want food from all over the world all year round. So is there a better way to do that? Right. And instead of shipping food from one part of the world to the other, can you ship climate data from one part of the world to the other? And basically recreate climates from all around the world, but do that local to the end consumer. And then you can grow food from all around the world, but now you're doing it in the same zip code as where they live, right? And now all of a sudden, you can take out the impact of transport. You can get food to the end consumer the same day of harvest rather than, you know, two or three weeks after it's harvested. So the quality of food is better. And that was kind of the aha moment for me. I had been working with a guy called Kimball Musk on some technology projects uh, up until that point. In parallel, he had also gone very deep in the food world. And, you know, I picked up the phone to him and started talking about this idea. And you know, he was like, well, okay, there's a there's a missing element in what you're saying here, which is who's going to grow the food? Mm-hmm. They're like food is, you know, plants are not just widgets, right? They don't just grow on demand. You need a you know, a person in there willing these plants to come to life. And, you know, he was sort of explaining to me that it's the farmer that's at the center of the system that gives the the love to the food that makes it taste so good. You know, and you start thinking then about, okay, well, you know, eventually with a company like Square Roots, we'll need millions of farmers. Like, how do we hire those people? And then you find out they don't exist, right? Mm. You know, the, the average age of a farmer in the U.S. is 58. The average age of a farmer in countries like Japan is 68. Hmm. you've got this demographic time bomb that is about to detonate on the food system, which is, you know, when these people retire, like who the hell is going to grow all the food, right? We need to find pathways for young people to enter the the, the agriculture industry. And and that, that was what we decided to kind of tackle first at Square Roots, right? How do we create a pathway, create a program that makes it really exciting and compelling to you know, for, for a young person to say, you know what, I'm actually going to grow up and be a farmer. This is going to be awesome. And uh, that was that was kind of the genesis of Square Roots. So w- as you started entering the space, you know, this is, we're talking now about two, 2016. What did, if you could paint a picture for folks, because I think people that are just getting into vertical farming, indoor ag tech, you know, they see they just see the, the 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 money coming in, the investments, how the industry is growing. But can you wind the clock back a little bit and talk about what what was the landscape like in 2016 as you were getting off the ground? <laughs> yeah, it's a, re- a really good question, actually. So I remember putting the first uh, pitch deck together and talking to an investor. And you know, Square Roots. For those people who don't know, we have a modular architecture system. So we've got farms that are built inside uh, refurbished shipping containers. You know, people be somewhat familiar with that model. But I remember saying to an investor, "Okay, we're going to take a young person with no experience of growing plants and put them in a metal box right in the middle of Brooklyn, 
and they're going to grow the best food you've ever tasted. And people thought we were absolutely insane. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely insane. And, um, you know, I probably talked to like 200 people to pull the seed round together. Wow. And, you know, we got it off the ground, right? And the, 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 the first thing that we had to prove was that we can actually take the young person with no experience and get them up to speed very quickly to grow food. You know, we, we figured that out. Once we had done that, we sort of started investing in a bunch of, uh, you know, technology, hardware, software, et cetera, to really sort of, you know, scale things up, commercialize it, figure out different business models. You know, how would we sell this food at, you know, the right price to what customer? That led us to do deals with companies like Gordon Food Service, who are the fourth or fifth biggest food distributor in the country. We now sell to grocery retail stores like Whole Foods and in the Midwest, Spartan Nash and Meyer and Fresh Time, you know, big, big regional chains, you know, but sort of every step along the way, there's been a different a different challenge, right? But to answer your question right at the beginning, that the challenge was trying to convince people that we weren't crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and so as you start, to, as the CEO, as you start to think about how, What's the right team that can move this vision forward? What's the right team? How fast do you scale? What experience or how did your past experience that, you know, you've, you've done some work in AI, you've worked at uh, Adobe, you were CEO at Aviary. Did some of those experiences in terms of how you build a team and how quickly you build a team color your thought process, you know, as you're starting to scale? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, actually. You know, so I think most of the stuff I did before Square Roots was software where you know you can scale very quickly there's incremental cost to scale and that's the beauty of software from an investor perspective and and sort of you know dropping into the food world was you know to rewire my brain completely right you know in software you can have an idea in the morning and it's in the market in the afternoon being used by millions of people right yeah in indoor farming, you can have an idea. Oh, what if I change the climate? What will happen? Right. Well, sit around for six weeks, and you might find out. You know, it's like a completely different time scale here. And then, of course, you know, just delivering a software service to a consumer is an entirely different universe with entirely different unit economics, and getting a physical good, you know, from seed to shelf oh and by the way that's perishable so if you don't look after it at every single step of the way it's you know destroyed massively different so you know i think there are certain things that i think have been an advantage you know the sort of silicon valley cliche of move fast and break things and uh, you know like we have pushed and pushed and pushed at a hell of a pace as far as i'm extremely proud of the way we've we've done that got to a really good place in a very short period of time but frankly, I think there were probably disadvantages in the way my brain was wired as a software guy. And, like, and I just didn't know mm-hmm. what I should have known about food, you know, so I probably had to get educated, um, you know, on, on the job, right, which might, might not have been ideal. You know, Kimball running a restaurant company, you know, he knows, right, unless there's a good GM and a fantastic chef you don't have a restaurant company, right? So we were able to make sure that we hired, you know, great operators and fantastic farmers on day one, right? There's the analogy. So, um, you know, when I didn't know what I was doing, I have people around, you know, me who did mercifully. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's easily been the most fun I've, 
uh, I, I've ever had. Easily the most fun product. You know, the, the other wonderful thing is when you're stressed in a software company, you stay stressed. When you're stressed in a farming company, you just go wander around the farm for half an hour and look you at go some pick plants. The lettuce. And, oh, it's so <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can see the the fruits the literal fruits of your labor and yes. the fruits it's so it's it's a the fact that you can touch it is something probably different than you know to your point speaking from software as well yeah i think that's right i think the other thing as well you know this is probably unique to our model you know we think of ourselves as growing food but like growing people right growing the next generation yeah. of leaders in, in in the industry you know and you see you know a young person coming with no experience you know maybe in a you know not such a privileged background you know and they want to change the food system right they share that you know mission with you and they got that passion and they lean in and learn and they work hard and then you know two three years later they're the farm manager at the new farm that you're opening on the other side of the country like that is amazing i love seeing that so uh, yeah i feel very very fortunate to be in my current position for sure how did it feel the moment you stepped into a, a, your first fully functional unit? Like there's there's something where they can paint, you know, where someone can paint the vision of this is what it's like, this is what we want it to be, this is the experience you want it to have, this is the look and feel. And that's different than when you're actually in one, you're seeing it functioning, you're seeing it producing a, a harvest. Well, and you're smelling. What is, what is that like? And you're smelling. Yeah. Right? You walk into, <laughs> you know, a beautifully farmed zone with, again, like this farmer that's put all the love in and it. Oh, my God, it smells yeah. amazing. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, on the, uh, you know, we have a really, you know, fantastic, efficient sales and marketing team right now. And, um, you know, one of the things that I, you know, they're running rings around me now in the early days when I was trying to bring them up to speed with this new thing I was saying listen Square Roots is a business where you show don't tell right you can get on the phone and talk until the cows come home about yeah. what we're doing right but bring someone to the farm have them look at what we're doing have them talk to a farmer have them like feel that energy and that love and then taste that food and like the the sell is done yeah it's a very kind of you know tangible experience that we're producing here for sure and then we, we sort of you know play that further forward right one of the sort of more regular marketing um, events that we do is a very community focused um farm tour event right where we literally throw open the doors every two weeks yeah this is pre-covid when we built the farms we put floor to ceiling uh, windows in them right so we kind of like you know open the door and then you can like look through the window mm. and um you know see see what's going on right and and i love doing those farm tours both in brooklyn and in grand rapids where we've got another farm and you know that minute where you kind of swing the doors open on the farm and people see the pink lights and the magic and you know it's a it's a really wonderful experience actually that's a beautiful segue uh, when you talk about the, uh, the the floor-to-ceiling windows. It's this idea of transparency, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's touted on the site is the obviously high, high standards with everything you do and you know educating people that vertical farms, free of pesticides, free of GMOs, but also the important thing that's, and it's something that you make a point highlighting, is this idea of tracking the food you know, from seed to store. Yeah. And why is that important? Yeah, I mean, I think we're the only company out there that can offer every consumer on every single package a complete story of where that food has come from, from seed to shelf. 
right? Every step in the process, every farmer that touched it along the way, photos of what the food looked like when it was being harvested, you know, yesterday, even down to like, which of our battery powered tricycles took this to the store that you're in right now? Right? <laughs> We've got the, the whole thing. And you were able to get that data thanks to the operating system that, that we built at Square Roots, the software system, the Square Roots Farmer Tool Belt. Yeah. Which is, you know, I guess you were talking earlier about where some of my software, you know, my, my background, how has that helped with Square Roots? Right. I think we have got a world class software team here. And mm. that, that, that is incredible. But yeah. Th- this idea, you nailed it, right? The whole idea was. The consumer wants transparency in the food system. Where does my food come from? Who grew it? You know, what techniques are being used? And so, yeah, like the original idea was to have a completely see-through farm, right? So that anybody could, you know, anyone walking through the neighborhood could have that question answered for them like immediately. And that's also sort of influences where we put the farms as well, right? So we put the farms right in the middle of the city. It's not the mm-hmm. cheapest rent. Yeah. Right. But in New York, for example, you know, again, pre-COVID, like 8 million people could just jump on the subway and come see the farm. You know, the idea is to be completely transparent. And if you can't get to the farm, then at least uh, at the retail shelf, you can scan the package, uh, you know, with your mobile phone. And that pops open a mobile web page with all of that information from, from seed to shelf. Right. So it gives that retail consumer this connection with the, the people that were involved in growing that food and getting it to the store. One of the things that's apparent to me when I'm in a supermarket or in a grocery store is the amount of plastic <laughs> that's used in the delivery of, mm-hmm. you know, leafy greens, for example. And I'm wondering how you think about that. You know, there's certain challenges of where the market is now, but are you forward thinking in terms of how much, you know, companies like Square Roots can actually help come up with a solution that could be better for the environment? Yeah, it, it is a great question, right? So s- some days I come to work and I'm like, my, we've done so much in a short period of time. This is awesome. And then some days I come to work and think, oh, we've still got so much to do. And, you know, one of the things that will make me think like that is when I look at plastic packaging, right? It's like, come on, have we, yeah. can, we not, can we not solve this? But, you know, to your point, very, very, very difficult and expensive challenge. I'm pretty excited actually by some of the stuff I'm seeing in the paper industry, you know, where you're getting paper coated with, you know, um, sort of molecular level uh, vegetable extract, right, which then turns that paper see-through, but it's also impermeable to oxygen. And there's like potential there to use that as packaging in a way that, you know, will make sure there's still the barrier so the food remains fresh, which again is important because, you know, if you solve plastic packaging by not using it, but massively increase food waste because you've got no way to, you know, keep that food fresh for a couple of weeks. You know, you're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul there. That might be a, an English expression. I don't know what the American translation would be, but <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. We use that. We use that as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's a very, very difficult problem to solve. And then, you know, frankly, I think it gets solved with purchasing power. Right. And so you look at a company, I'm very, very, very proud of everything that we're doing at Square Roots. And we're 60 people now up from, you know, 15, 12 months ago. And this is great. Like we're tiny as far as the wider food system is concerned. And, and, and you had the experience of working at Walmart um, to, to have the, uh, the yeah. you know, the both sides of the spectrum in terms of a bit what you can do at scale. 
Well, totally right. And so that's kind of where I was going, right? You know, I saw at scale when Walmart said, okay, you know, we're going to, we're going to get serious about sustainability. You know, how can we do that at scale? Right. And, you know, as an employee in the, in the company, you know, there are no trash bins in the offices, right? You take your trash home. That's the way that, you know, it gets recycled, right? When you print something out on a piece of paper, it's always double-sided, mm. you know, and, and these things might seem really yeah. small, right? But when you've got, two million employees doing this stuff like it, it adds up not to mention everyone on their supply chain yeah who's held to those same standards right so yeah i've seen how you can impact you know positively impact things at huge scale you know i kind of won't re reveal too much there right but that's one of the many advantages that i think we've got with this you know very deep relationship with gordon food service you know is that they are a you know multi-billion dollar food company you know, they're, they're a big player and they they can have different types of conversations than, than we can right yeah. so yeah you know i feel like i'm answering this rather like a presidential candidate <laughs> or a vp candidate by not really answering the question in a debate but yeah i mean we, we got to figure it out it'll be an industry-wide thing i'm seeing some really cool technology emerging and you know have, have faith i guess right yeah so that's interesting you mentioned the industry on a whole how have you seen the all the players in the space and you have you know folks that you would consider you know competitors or doing something similar to what square Roots is doing and then people you know focusing on, on lighting and we had a couple of great conversations with david farkar of igs in terms of like all, all the, the different moving parts and, and what you're able to control within this environment there's so many people doing so many interesting things what have you seen from an ecosystem as all these players start to talk to each other, you know, I would, I would imagine you run into each other at conferences when there were those as well. What's the relationship between, you know, these companies? And, and do you find that you look for opportunities to engage or, or partner or collaborate at some level? Yeah, mostly it's really good. And, um, you know, there, there are probably lots of parallels with like the, the sort of green energy or alternative energy industry. Right? We are all in it to you know, solve a massive problem for the planet and for people, you know, everyone who's in it is kind of mission driven to a, a, you know, a certain extent values tend to be somewhat aligned and that, that, that really helps. I think everyone also recognizes we're in very early innings here, right? You know, I started my career in the mid nineties building, you know, websites, internet stuff, you know, internet 1.0, and, you know, I remember kind of the meetups that used to happen there. I was in London. You'd go to like the first Tuesday club or whatever it was where, you know, all the internet entrepreneurs were there. And, yeah. you know, everybody knew that this thing was inevitable, but no one could quite yet articulate what shape it would take. You know, Facebook was still 10 years away. Twitter was still 10 years yeah. away, you know. Yeah. And as a consequence, everyone just wanted to make it work and bring it to as many people as possible, right? And there was lots of sharing of ideas and people offering to help each other out. It was really, really beautiful. I'll, I'll use that word. And, and I think indoor farming right now feels quite like that, actually. It feels like the mid-90s internet, right? Again, it's, you know, it's inevitable. And, and mm -hmm. COVID has probably accelerated that. Yeah. You know, what's the, you know, there are certain kind of formats emerging now are kind of, you know, very scalable, capital efficient modular approach. Obviously, there's a lot of great work going on with the plant factory formats, Bowery and, you know, those guys, you know, frankly, some greenhouse growers are just like 
execution machines right now. Like I'm watching Gotham Greens march across the country, like hats yeah. off to those guys. And, oh, yeah. You know, but as an, as an example of that, you know, like Irvin at Bowery, you know, there's a guy you can pick up the phone to and we talk about what's going on, right? Uh, Virage at Gotham Greens was so helpful to us in the early days and so generous with his time. And, you know, I've always been very inspired by their story and their brand and, you know, the, the whole thing. And I think, you know, it, it's very illustrative of quite a collaborative environment. Of course, you know, there are a couple of players who, you know, protective of their IP or whatever and don't, don't <laughs> yeah. want to play nice. But uh, in the main, yeah, it's a really oh, nice is a, is a word that I tend to steer away from. But I, I would say this is a really nice space to be in, actually. Collegial, maybe. Yeah, that's a much better word. <laughs> well, it's interesting your background coming from software because what's what's worked there um, is this idea of like open source Linux. You know, th these projects that where mm -hmm. everyone there's a collaborative effort for people getting together for the greater good. And mm -hmm. and you, you alluded to it a little bit, but I I don't know if there's something like that that exists now within indirect tech vertical farming, or if that's probably still a ways off. But I think there's some benefit from that sort of open source yeah to my knowledge i don't think it, it's as formalized as that right i think you know the kind of open egg thing at mit you know they were talking about that right it never happened and then obviously that whole program was discredited anyway yeah i mean there's lots of collaboration you know if i think about universities right which is you know sometimes where some of that effort springs from you know we talk you know, as much with Cornell and, and, and sort of what's going on in Michigan as we do with Bargainhingen in, in, in Holland. So, yeah, I mean, I would say there is a lot of informal sharing right now. Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe someone does need to kind of formalize, a, you know, a, a, an open indoor ag initiative. I, I, I don't know. Being a, a child of the 80s myself, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you what your first computer was. <laughs> a zx spectrum 128k i don't know if that was a, a us uh, thing uh <laughs> the, the inventor of that sir clive sinclair very british guy okay it was about kind of eight eight inches wide nice rubber keys yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, i learned to program basic on that thing yep i had a texas instruments <laughs> with, a nice. with a cassette deck as the as the, as that, the yeah uh, exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's the only way you capture information. yeah and then when the cassette kind of warped it wouldn't load the software properly and you know on a hot yeah. day you, you might you might struggle to load whatever you know yeah game you wanted to play or whatever yeah those are the days we've come a, a ways since yeah then. Yeah. When I think on our hardware team the the sort of you know brains of, of the but we actually call it the farm brain sort of where everything like plugs into and I'm looking at that, you know, it's like a supercomputer, right? Versus yeah, my yeah. little ZX Spectrum. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's remarkable. Well, to that point, one of the one of the benefits of as you bring more of these online is the fact that they're all cloud connected. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering what you're able to see and learn and um, improve on as a result of having this, you know, information in the cloud. You mentioned you know working with data scientists, and and mm -hmm. that becomes a a very important job function when you need to mm -hmm. crunch this much data. Yeah, completely. So again, right, the software layer that we've built, the operating system for the company, the, the Square Roots Pharma Tool Belt, we call it. And there are kind of three elements to it, right? The first is instruction. 
So if you're a farmer, you might open the app version of the farmer tool belt and you know the app is going to be context aware right it's going to okay your farmer harry you're in farm number three in brooklyn today is basil harvest day here are the 10 things that you got to do and it will kind of guide you through that and then prompt you to capture data as you're going through that workflow right in parallel to that data is being captured ambiently through that workflow and that process like well how long did that process take right what happened here the second part of it then is you know is is that uh, sort of additional uh, data capture so um, you know ambiently we're capturing climate data you know nutrient data light you know spectrum intensity you know the million and one different sort of environmental um, things that are there and then at the end of every harvest the system is then able to say okay well mm. what happened in the climate and what happened in terms of farmer workflow and how long did it take things change for this particular harvest and what happened in this harvest was the yield above what we thought or below what we thought mm. or you know etc etc and so the the system then is able to you know determine insights which we're then able to push back out across the network so that everybody gets to benefit from it right and that might be oh it turns out you know if the temperature is 0.001 degrees you know warmer than you know what you're doing like that actually helps or it could be huh, Farmer Harry's actually developed a completely new way to, you know, get the basil off the rack. Mm. And like, here are the photos of Farmer Harry doing it. And oh my God, it used to take 20 minutes and now it takes 18. And if everybody is following that instruction, boom, that adds up, right? So the whole system is kind of learning very, very rapidly. Interesting. You know, whether it's workflow or, you know, or environment, climate. So yeah, there's very, you know, lots of rapid learning cycles going on, actually. It, it's yeah as the ai guy i get super geeked out about that for sure and is there a community that you've built in uh, not necessarily facebook maybe like a farm book <laughs> is there something where everyone's you know sort of sharing best best secrets within for with clients and uh yeah i mean not uh not outside of our company right so you know we the, the, the way our company works we own and operate the farms right so we build yeah. them then we have a farm team and they farm and you know, and then we pack and distribute and we kind of go mm -hmm. seed to shelf. So, you know, we've probably got 30 farmers, I would say, right now, and maybe sort of 10 folks in engineering and continuous improvement software hardware. Mm -hmm. And so that, as a community, yeah, is extremely active, you know, either asynchronously um, on Slack throughout the day or, you know, in regular kind of cross, uh, you know, cross farm uh, sort of collaborations and the continuous improvement team works across all of those functions, right? Hardware, software, farming kind of stitches it all together and is constantly looking for the next improvement. So, yeah, that's a pretty high powered setup, actually. That That's fun, right? When you watch yeah. that team in full flow and the insights that they're coming up with and then like how quickly they're implementing them and rolling that out, that is... Um, yeah, that's something to really behold, actually. And one of the things you you highlight uh, that's that's highlighted on the website is the farmer training. And given what you just mm -hmm. said, like how does that continue to evolve? Because I imagine you know a couple of years ago you would do some of the farmer training. Probably looks a little different now <laughs> than it yeah. did back then. <laughs> yeah, it kind of changed in March. Yeah, I mean, you know, we did. We used to sort of bring in what we would call cohorts of farmers 
you know, several people would, would go in a class together, right? And, you know, on day one, they're in the farm sort of learning how to do it hands-on, but there was a lot of uh, kind of classroom time, uh, you know, and that stuff is obviously difficult today, right? And so we've done a lot of work very, very quickly this summer to get a lot of the training content to be able to be delivered digitally through a, um, a learning management system. Yeah. The software team, you know, thought very rapidly in, in, in April about how do we give our farmers more eyes in the farm? Mm. It's sort of, you know, I'm saying that quote unquote, right? How do we give a person more eyes in the farm, even if they yeah. can't physically be there with another person all the time, right? So what extra sensors, what extra data, how do we present that? in kind of actionable ways that would allow a farm manager to you know manage farmers across a you know a system without or in a way that they're able to respect social distancing and not get too close so yeah i mean you know as i'm hearing myself explaining that it doesn't sound particularly coherent and and some days i i do have to kind of stop myself because we are running at 150 miles an hour like figuring all this stuff out right now yeah but I think that's the whole point of it, because a lot of this has caused, you know, CEOs and, and, and leaders to really rethink the way, you know, what, what you call business as usual. Yeah. And, and, the, and the folks, you know, we've seen a lot of restaurants are closing, you know, like mm -hmm. left and right. And, and, um, and people's access to food is as bad as it was before. Is, it's almost even worse now in the interim. So mm -hmm. people have to rapidly iterate. And I think, you know, to your point, seeing what you thought was was needed to, to meet the needs pre-COVID has changed now. And, and, and I think all these things that you're doing that you've put into place where you've had to adjust, given more eyes in, into, the, into what's happening, I would imagine now are, are actually going to play out in the long term even, being even more beneficial because no they forced you to, to, to think about things you weren't, that maybe hadn't been on your, your roadmap. Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. And, and you know, there's another angle to this as well, right, frankly, which is we're you know in and will be for a while a horrific recession with millions of people unemployed and that is going to change you know what consumers want to buy and so we've had to like, adapt to that very rapidly as well you know bigger pack sizes kind of more sort of you know broader appeal you know products um you know we've done a fantastic job there it's also going to impact how investors think about what companies to back in the future right maybe two years ago we could stand in front of the pink lights and wave our hands around and tell people how awesome it was going to be today people who want to look at the roi mm. right yeah and so you know our team has put a incredible focus on you know bringing to life all the ideas and concepts that we had around driving efficiency that you're like, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that, right? There's still a lot more cool stuff that we want to do. All of a sudden, you know, those ideas became the the, the priority, and you know, we've become this like like super well functioning machine. And so, yeah, I I think you're right. Um, you know, would I have chosen to go through a global pandemic to you know get the company to be this like yeah. you know, super efficient? Probably not. But you know does it set us up to be much more resilient and 
you know, a much stronger operation, frankly, you know, stronger investment opportunity for the future, like 1 million percent, 1 million percent. Naturally, every company that you've uh, run has had its separate challenges, given the industry that you you were in. In, in the years that you've been CEO um, of Square Roots, how have you grown as a leader? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably the wrong person to ask, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the question is, what's the, what's the personal journey been, been like for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, farming is certainly very humbling. You know, that is for sure. You know, I think for me, you know, having been CEO three times previous to Square Roots, you know, I'd like to think I've probably just, you know, I'm continuing on the pathway where things I have done previously that co-workers have said, this is good, please do more of that. I've tried to do more of that. And things I've done previously where people said, that sucks. And you make life miserable when you do that. I've tried to do less (laughs) of that, right? So I guess that would be the way that I would uh, (laughs) try and answer that question, I think. I mean, listen, one thing that I will say is, you know, the the sort of team, the the executive team that we've got here running the the company, when when COVID hit, I tend to be quite, you know, like a a sort of body language uh, manager. Like I get a lot of cues Mm. just by, you know, observing people and seeing the vibe and, Mm. you know kind of almost that sixth sense of what's going on and you know over 20 years of running companies you you sort of hone those skills and like that suddenly went yeah right i'm now talking to everybody through a through a zoom call (laughs) and so you know there are certain things that you know i started to have to do okay how do you kind of replicate the or, or or sort of you know kind of provide a facsimile for you know the chat over coffee you know the random bump into you in the corridor Exactly. Come walk with right. me down you know, the hallway, kind of or yeah. For the one-on-one, right? how, how do you do that in this world? So yeah, it's been really interesting actually, yeah. sort of figuring out just new techniques to try and you know catch the vibe, and 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 it's important, right? Because the, the the folks that you're working with, you know, they're busting their ass as well, and they're also under extreme pressure from the anxiety that this whole situation has put on them, right? Oh, and yeah. So you, of course, like you want everyone to develop in terms of career and learn skills and all this but like you love them as humans and you just have to like look after each other and so maybe through all of this i've become a more empathetic leader i I don't know i guess that would be a nice upside yeah is there anyone that comes to mind uh, that that was uh helpful for you as you were you know learning the ropes as a ceo a mentor come to mind yeah I think there've been a number of people actually. I mean, I'll I'll say my mum first of all, right? Yeah. She um you know was a, a sort of small business entrepreneur when I was growing up in England. She ran a chain of retail uh, optical shops and okay. you know I used to go work there during the school holidays and learned a lot about you know operations and teamwork and um you know culture building and sort of got the bug there I think. You know, I remember the first technology company that I worked for in in London in England. I was, you know, project manager building websites and the guy that founded the company tapped me on the shoulder one day and said, Hey, we want you to move to India in two weeks from now Wow! and set up a <laughs> software development center and go hire 500 people and like figure it out. And I was like, what? Wow. And he was like, listen, we, we believe you can do it. You will fall on your face and make big mistakes, but you know, pick up the phone and we'll support you through it. Right. And that sort of, confidence right that someone has in you makes you feel a hundred foot tall 
And, you know, by the way, makes you the most loyal person ever, right? Because you do not want to let that person be. So, you know, that, that was interesting. And then, you know, moving yeah, to yeah. the States, like, obviously, being around Kimball Musk is phenomenal. Yeah. You know, you've got a guy there who is amazingly successful in his own right, has done that by putting, you know, values and impact alongside scale at the center of every single kind of business he's been involved with. He has got the ability to, you know, operate at 30,000 feet where we're talking about what the company is going to look like in 2030. And then at the next minute, mm -hmm. boom, we're mm. talking about how to increase the yield by three pounds in, you know, farm number four in Brooklyn. Wow. Sometimes your job is just trying to like keep up with him as he's oscillating through these levels. <laughs> and, you know, you can't help but yeah. be, you know, informed and sort of, you know, fr frankly, want to push yourself, right, to be better when you're in yeah. that environment. So, yeah, I feel very, very, very fortunate with the people that I work with, uh, for sure. I've certainly worked for a couple of, you know, people that weren't as good as that and lasted about four <laughs> months and then left. Yeah. <laughs> you learn you learn from those folks as well, yeah. It reminds me of the Jim Rohn quote, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Right. Um yeah. and yeah. I imagine what how what's the uh the, the the short version of the story when you and um Kimball met for the first time? Uh how did that happen actually? <laughs> you know what, it, it it's funny. So I was uh in the US selling um speech recognition software by a British company. And this would have been 12, 13 years ago or something, right? So, I mean, everyone knows how terrible Siri is today. You can't, she doesn't understand anything. Yeah. Well, imagine how bad that technology was 12 years ago. And then imagine how difficult it was trying to solve that with an English accent talking to this, <laughs> you know, American system. Like, forget it. And then someone introduced me to Kimball. And I was like, okay, he's done some really cool stuff. The company he was setting up was in Boulder, Colorado. I'm a big okay. snowboarder. I was like, well, that sounds okay. good. You know, a very compelling guy. And like the week later, I moved out of New York and I was living in Colorado. Like there wasn't oh, too, wow. much, too much thinking <laughs> about it. <laughs> Where's uh, home for you now? Uh, New York City is home. Okay. I find myself temporarily right now in Florida. Okay. You know, one of the million pandemic stories. Yeah. You know, different family things and people get displaced. And my wife and I are here in Florida for a couple of months looking after her parents. But, um, for the benefit of the listener, we're on camera and I can see a reflection of a palm tree. And I said, well, I thought he was in New York. And I'm like thinking, yeah, where, not, where in New York is that palm tree? <laughs> not too many palm trees in Brooklyn, that is for sure. Oh, actually, yeah. the botanical gardens are pretty sweet. That's there. true, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I grew up in Yonkers, New York, just outside. Ah, uh, okay, great. Yeah. So I've cycled familiar. up there many times. Yeah. So growing up in London and then living in, in the States, is there anything that you can think of in terms of the relationships that people have to like their food, having it available local, you know, access to farmers? Did that change or just were you going just from city to city, you know, London to New York? So there wasn't much of, of a change. For no, you? I mean, it's... it's quite remarkable actually right so when i left the uk 20 years ago a lot of the food that we ate was was local right and just the geography of the country you know it takes you six hours to drive from one end of the country yeah. to the other right so everything you eat yeah. broadly speaking is is local and when i came to the us i remember this very clearly went into the supermarket i saw this row of watermelons all the way down the supermarket it felt like it was like 10 miles long and all these watermelons were huge, these massive bowling balls that were perfectly round and shiny. <laughs> I was like, wow, America yeah. is amazing. And then, then I took one home and 
A, didn't taste of anything. And then I was like, hold on, what season is this? Like, where the hell have these things come from? <laughs> you know, and then you eat strawberries that are ginormous, but just taste like water. Yeah. And then you're like, oh yeah. my God. You know, and you kind of dig in and look at the industrial food system that we've got, and it is horrific. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, lot, lots of differences, actually. You know, that being said, and, and, and I think it's what the consistent thread as I've had conversations with folks on the podcast is what people don't understand, like consumers don't understand, like how fresh or, or what a strawberry is supposed to taste like, or to your mm -hmm. point, or what like really fresh greens, you know, that, that were just picked, mm -hmm. you know, the day before. Um, and then even varieties and all the different varieties of, of basil, for mm -hmm. example. Like, I think I'm wondering if you saw that as well, just the education of, or sort of re-energizing or re-educating educating your, your palate. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I mean, or retraining your palate. It's not, you yeah. know, I'm not going to name the, the, the person or the, or the retailer, but, you know, as in conversations with, you know, big retailer, yeah. big grocery retailer, you know, about the square rich produce. And he's like, hey, to it's like all you indoor farmer guys, you all talk about taste and delivery. Yeah. He's like, but my customers don't care about taste because, you know, they, they just douse their salad in uh, salad dressing. Anyway, which again, by the way, I'd never even seen salad dressing until I moved to the U.S. And he was like, you know, my customers equate freshness with like crunch. You know, I don't care about mm. taste. I care about texture, right? Give me something crunchy because that's what my customer thinks is, is, is fresh food. Very, very interesting, right? And then again, then it illustrates, well, okay, well, hang on. Taste equates to nutrient value right broadly speaking right the yeah. tastier it is that you yeah, know yeah. the better like how how have we moved so far away from that that people aren't actively seeking the tasty food because that is the quickest way to eat healthy food you don't have to be a bloody nutritionist yeah. to figure this shit out right if it smells great and it tastes <laughs> great and it looks great it's gonna be good for you like it, it's not a huge amount of education that we need to sort of get that message on, but apparently it is, right? Yeah, it still kind of blows my, my mind a, a little bit, right? But again, that just brings you back to, okay, well, what we're doing is kind of important. And more to the point, it's not just going to be square roots that sort of, you know, fixes this quote unquote, right? It is going to take thousands of companies like square roots and, uh, yeah. you know, that's back to the collaboration then, right? I think that the sort of problem here is ginormous. You can translate that to the market opportunity here is ginormous. There will be way more than one winner mm -hmm. and, you know, we can all kind of afford to help each other out a little bit. A couple of questions as we wrap up, what's uh, something you've changed your mind about recently? That's a really good question. I mean, I, I listen. I, I'm going to change my mind on stuff every single day, right? What, what I can't, I can, you know, <laughs> yeah. what's the line? Like, have strong convictions, but like hold them loosely, right? You know, if like, <laughs> yes, you know, if you have an idea, make sure you're running at it a hundred miles an hour, but like always be prepared to switch tack, right? And <laughs> one of the sort of lines some of my coworkers will get sick of me saying is, you know, I don't care about what I care about. I care about the data. Mm. Right. Meaning, okay. okay, you know, our opinions and yeah. you know, the sort of positions that we hold, like they have to be loose. Like if the data is telling us to do something, do it. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll probably change my mind five times a day. <laughs> no, actually six. <laughs> what's, um, what's a tough question you've had to ask recently? A tough question I've had to ask yeah. on a personal level. How are you doing today? We oh, had, yeah. uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, in, in our immediate family, we, we, we've had a death, which is the first time I've been through that. And that 
you know, seeing people that you love around you just broken mm. uh, is tough and you have to show up every day and ask that question, you know, and then translating that back to the, you know, the, the company, right? As I was saying, people, are just, you know, the environment we're in is fucking nuts. Yeah. And, you know, if I'm having a one-on-one with people, you know, I might go in thinking, okay, we're going to talk about KPIs or this week's sales targets or whatever, but I will frequently look at the person and go, hey, buddy, are you okay? Like, yeah. Do we do we just need to talk? Really important. Really important. And, yeah, and, uh, I, I think so. And I, I don't know what the long-term impact here is. Nobody does. Right. We can all kind of deal with it in the moment. And, yeah. you know, we're probably all running on adrenaline and trying to sure. hold it together now. But, you know, there is going to be a big emotional crash at some point in the future. And uh, watch out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like adrenal fatigue is how I've you know, made the analogy cabin fever, mm-hmm. <laughs> just stressed. Uh, I, I lost a, a best friend from high school to COVID. He's my age. Oh, I'm so uh, sorry. We had drifted apart, but to have someone that's your age, you know, go through that and you think he's going to pull, pull out of it, that's when it hits home. And then it's that times, you know, here in the States, it's not just the 210,000 deaths. Apparently someone did an analysis and every death impacts like seven lives. So now we're talking mm-hmm. like one and a half million people affected, you know, mm-hmm. mentally by what's happening. And yeah. I think uh, people are not understanding, you know, to your point, asking that question. Cause at the end of the day, we're all human beings trying to get through the day. And, um, mm-hmm. and you can't see some of that now since we're all remote now and before you'd be able yeah. to pick up on body language or something like that. So now you have to yeah. actually work harder as a leader to, to make sure that, you, you know, that the team is mentally <laughs> holding it together as yeah. well. Yeah. Completely agree. Yeah. yeah. So, um, as we wrap up, Tobias, what, what's, what has you excited, uh, about the industry and, 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 you know, what, um, what are you looking forward to? So, you know, I think pre COVID, everyone in the industry, you know, knew, right? We all had the sort of similar thought that we've got to have this distributed, resilient food system where we're bringing local food to people and, you know, technology can enable that cost effectively year round. You know, hundreds of people probably understood that narrative. Mm-hmm. And then COVID happened. And all of a sudden, millions of people understand that narrative, right? There is, you know, a desperate need to figure out a more resilient food system mm-hmm. where people are eating healthier food and doing that all year round and indoor farming, you know, can be a, a big part of that solution. Right. So I've always been excited by what we're trying to do. I think I'm even more excited now, right. It's kind of a, a horrible way to have that kind of accelerated, Yeah. but this is what we're living through. Right. And there's a, you know, not just a sort of opportunity that sounds a bit crass, right? I feel like there's an obligation and a mm. responsibility here to give it a hundred and ten percent every single day and make make this happen. Yeah. You know, let's do something good for the world. There's there's too much bad here right now. Well, yeah, that that's a that's the one of the best ways I can think of to wrap up this conversation to end on a high note. To, you know, to to demonstrate um, and and have people believe uh, what we can collectively do humanity to kind of lift ourselves up rising tide lifts all boats and all and and i think what you're doing Mm -hmm. at at square roots and what the the team is doing is is doing your part and then leading the way and and showing that there is an alternative future for us and and i think it's important like the more stories we have that are feel good stories to be quite honest and and we we need more of those i think in this day and age so i just want to you know congratulate you on the success of the company so far and i i I see 
you know, from from where we're standing, you know, we we see a lot of good things happening. Just the, the industry as a whole, um, and mm-hmm. and the energy and the enthusiasm behind what you're doing is, is obvious in the industry as well. So I want to I want to applaud you on that, and and thank you for all the work you've done so far. Thank you very much, and thanks for what you're doing, providing a platform where you know more of us can tell this story. It, it, it's really fantastic what you're doing. Thank you. And so, is there any uh, initiatives coming up, or best place for folks to learn more about Square Roots? Yeah, we're super active on uh, social media, especially Instagram and Twitter. You can find us at Square Roots Grow. Uh, we got new farms opening in New York and in Michigan and a couple of others that I probably can't talk about right now. <laughs> okay. We are hiring farmers right now. Okay. And all of that information will be on those social channels at Square Roots Grow. Okay. And we'll make sure we have all those links uh, in the show notes Fantastic. as well. So thanks again, Tobias. I really appreciate you, your time and telling your sharing your story as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which include a summary, timestamps, and any links mentioned in this episode, please visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There you'll find the information from this episode and any past episodes. Special thanks to this week's sponsor, Series Greenhouse Solutions. Series is combining smart greenhouse design with customized climate control technologies to build sustainable grow environments for year-round production. Be sure to visit seriesgreenhousesolutions.com and series is spelled C-E-R-E-S, greenhousesolutions.com, to get started on your greenhouse goals. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. Until we meet again next week, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.